And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, Force Five. Hello, and welcome to the Force Five podcast, a show where I challenge my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list, and then we reveal our picks on air. I am your host, Jason Kleberg, and today my guest is Victor Dematia. He's an actor who's been in a ton of films, but is probably best known for his role in the 1993 classic, The Sandlot. The topic Victor chose today is top five movie weapons. But before we get to those, let's talk about some social media from last week and a few of the things I've seen in the past week. We had another big response to last week's topic with Greg Sersavasti that was top five underrated films. Official Ben Wilson on Instagram says, Rhinestone with Sylvester Stallone. He says, very underrated, goofy comedy, and to be honest, kind of a cool story. Mrs. El Capitan gets on my bad side here because I posted a picture of Hot Rod with the question, and she said, this movie is hot trash. I actually almost walked out. Hot Rod, thumbs down. Maybe... I should give it another shot. I think you should, because I think Hot Rod is a masterpiece. Over on Twitter, the No More Late Fees podcast responded to the question with Blast from the Past, Alicia Silverstone film that I probably haven't seen since it was in theaters, and I can't remember a thing about it, so it might be worth a revisit there. And Creepy Cash, at Creepy Cash, says The Tripper, a movie I had never heard of, directed by David Arquette, looks like a slasher from David Arquette, so might have to check that out. Lots of activity on Reddit as well. MKS2000 says, uh, Akam, a.k.a. The Stunt Woman. It's a film that almost paralyzed Michelle Yeoh and is her best performance. It's all at once a neo-realist drama and surreal metafictional action film. I think it's a masterpiece, but it hasn't had a respectable U.S. release. I'm going to have to check that out. The Stunt Woman, I had never heard of that either. And uh, Keith MG says, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, is a serious contender for best film of the 80s, but I feel like no one even knows about it outside of Paul Schrader fans. So again, thank you for everybody who chimed in. I couldn't put them all on here, but if you want to add your input to my list, head to social media, Force5Pod on Twitter, Force5Podcast on Instagram, and your comment might make it onto the show. I saw a couple of movies this week. I'm going to go from the ones I like the least to the one that I like the most. We're going to start off with 1973's Terminal Island. If I tell you to kiss my ass, I want you on your knees before I finish talking. The strong enslave the weak. The hours hang as heavy as their chains. We're the property of every man on this island. You have to screw every man here. You will too. I'm breaking out of here. I'm going after Monk. I'm gonna wipe out that big nigger faggot. I'm gonna smash his ball so it turned to jello. Death duel of the Black Titans. Mm-hmm. Lusting, busting babes, ripe with the fruits of desire. California has abolished the death penalty, so they chuck all their worst prisoners onto an island called San Bruno and let them do whatever they want. The small group of prisoners has split into two factions, one that keeps women as sex slaves and one that milks goats and has Tom Selleck. Terminal Island is a slice of pure 70s exploitation trash. Directed by Stephanie Rothman, it's less of a women in prison film and more Lord of the Flies. The story starts as a woman named Carmen Sims is dumped onto an island. She's our audience surrogate, introducing us to the horrors she's about to encounter as she's immediately taken into the camp run by two mooks named Bobby and Monk. 
Now, there are a few other women here, but of course, this is the 70s, it's an exploitation film, they are used as sex slaves, only there to serve the men, so much so that there's a literal schedule each night for whom each woman is assigned to service. AJ, a more liberal prisoner, has started his own society with a few other refugees, so they bounce, and one night they free the women, leading to an all-out war between the two factions when Bobby and Monk realize their women are gone. Terminal Island checks all of the exploitation boxes. The tough-talking black guy, the creepy white chauvinist pig who tries to sexually assault someone every 30 seconds, blood that looks like the brightest candy red nail polish you can buy at Sephora, and killer dialogue like, Are you calling me a liar? I'd never call you that. I'd call you dead. It is quite a bit of fun though, and although the typical lulls in between the action that were necessary to pad the runtime for low-budget flicks are still here, they're never really boring enough to allow you to get lost in your phone before the next battle begins. One standout scene includes a woman getting revenge on the creepy rapey guy as she acts like she's going to seduce him, puts honey on his dick and ass, and then smacks a beehive as he runs away in a panic. It's like something straight out of an Austin Powers film. Speaking of dumb decisions, another scene has our bad guys pent up in a small hut, shooting at the heroes out of a small crack in the structure. Conventional wisdom, of course, says that it would have been easy to just fan out and run around to the other side of the hut, since the shooting radius was very small, but instead our heroes send a person down straight into the line of fire. And once that dude's dead, they send the next one down the same way. And once she's dead, they send another one down too. It's like a comedy of errors. All that said, Terminal Island is a pretty fun prison faction flick. If you like films like Ray Liotta's No Escape, or even Escape from New York, you'll probably like this enough. It's cheesy, and the music sounds like it was peeled off the floor of a 1970s Times Square jerk theater, but the dialogue is fun, the violence is bloody, and the nudity is plentiful. This was a 4K UHD disc from Vinegar Syndrome, and of course, it looks amazing. Next up, we've got 2021's newest horror film. This one is from James Wan. Yes, I saw Malignant. The body of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders. As they're happening. Hello? He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Here's the plot summary from IMDb. Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. James Wan is extremely talented, and Malignant is an interesting watch. Juan has said during interviews that he feels like this is his take on a modern-day giallo film, and I can see that influence. The colors and a gloved figure murdering people behind a visage cloaked in shadows are both hallmarks of the revered subgenre. Juan takes that formula and tosses it into a blender with 80s creature features like It's Alive for a pretty unique take on some well-worn territory. Unlike a giallo, however, Malignant shows you all of its cards right up front. If you're that person who sits there and watches a movie to try and figure out everything before the movie reveals the twist, relax, because this movie doesn't give a shit. It's not hiding anything. Instead, it does interesting things with the way it shows us what we already know. And when it shows us, it is a blast. In fact, two-thirds had gone by in this film, and I wasn't that into it. It's shot really well, the acting was good, but there was nothing that really pushed it ahead of other mid-budget horror movies. And then, and then, the third act hit. Once you see this killer in full view, Malignant turns into a insane Blast. I love a movie that goes off the rails, and this one really leans into it. 
It doesn't make the most sense if you're trying to poke holes in the narrative, and many of the scenes are hokier than a Richard Simmons workout tape, but it is so much fun. The creature effects are really great too, and harken back to the late 80s blockbuster direct-to-video schlock, as does the absolutely awful writing. There are certain scenes that feel like it's just James Wan trolling us, like when one character ventures deep into an abandoned mental hospital and he uses your previous horror experiences and expectations to let you down completely. There are a few things I might have done differently with this film. George Young and McCole Brianna White play two cops trying to get to the bottom of things, and if there's a weak link in the cast, they're it. Young as Detective Kakoa Shaw feels a bit wooden and bland, while White does her best to channel Wanda Sykes, and neither one of them are very interesting characters. In fact, every minute they were on screen, I thought it was pretty unsufferable. I also thought the music was awful. The score from Joseph Bashara did absolutely nothing for me and kind of felt out of place. I'm sure it was intended to sound Giallo-esque, but it just did not land with me. I can tell you right now, Malignant is not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I had a lot of fun with it. It's another high-grade B-movie that doesn't take itself seriously and then switches gears into absolute fucking insanity for the last 30 minutes. And if you've listened to Force 5 before, you already know that's a formula I will always enjoy. I love James Wan, he is very talented, and this feels like he told WB, sure, I'll make Aquaman for you, but in return, I get to make whatever the hell I want. And Malignant is what popped out of his head. Now, the best thing I saw this week is a movie that premiered on Peacock. It's called My Son. When I looked at his cabin, I could see his clothes were still in there. His bag was still in there. We continue to interview everybody who has come into contact with your son. Ethan! I understand that you've been traveling a great deal. You've been in Libya, Iraq. Do you have reason to believe that it's because of what I do that Ethan is missing? Now, Mr. Murray, I have to tell you that we are investigating every hypothesis, including kidnapping. Would you say your work was dangerous? Have you even thought? What's our father you've been to your son? I know I'm a bad dad. I know I'm never here. Divorced parents Edmund and Joan find out that their seven-year-old son has gone missing from a wilderness camp where he was staying for a week with his friends. Edmund makes it his mission to find out what happened to his boy. Now here's a few disclosures before I get into my review here. First, this is a remake of the same director's film, My Son, from 2017 that was made in France with, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but Guillaume Canet and Melanie Laurent playing the parents. So I don't know how it stacks up to that or if the story is the same, although I assume it is based on what I've read. So if you've seen the French film, this might not have as much as an impact on you as it did on me. Second, I'm a father of a young kid, and I think anyone who's a parent would agree that the thought of a child going missing, just the thought, is among the worst things imaginable. And although I don't think having a child is necessary to feel the dread that my son presents, it'll definitely elevate that experience. All that being said, my son is an easy example of how great acting can turn a simple premise into cinematic magic, and James McAvoy deserves most of that credit. McAvoy plays Edmund Murray, a man who works abroad in the oil industry but comes home when he gets the call that his son is missing. During the production of the film, James McAvoy never got to read the script. All of his lines were improvised while the other actors around him had the screenplay, so his reactions and responses were genuine, in-the-moment judgments based on what an actual grieving father would do and say. There's a particular scene in which he's watching previously recorded clips of his son on a phone, and he's exerting this 
just insanely powerful range of emotions that just watching him, watching his screen brought me to tears. Claire Foy is fantastic as the grieving mother as well, but we spend most of the runtime with McAvoy. And I honestly can't imagine a world in which McAvoy is not nominated for an Oscar for this performance. He was absolutely fantastic. I'm not going to say much about the story, but I will say that it's pretty straightforward. The real hook is that it's not a taken kind of film. McAvoy is not a trained killer, he's not an assassin, he's not a sadistic man, he's just a dad with a missing son and he makes decisions that many of us would make. He also makes a decision or two that I wouldn't make, but I totally understand why he made them in the film. The whole atmosphere is very tense and the last 30 minutes are riveting because of how suspenseful it gets. James McAvoy knocked this performance out of the park. My son is thrilling while never feeling exploitative. The story feels real, completely accomplishing what the filmmaker set out to do with the way it was made. Winter is coming. And that means old man winter is on his way, ready to wreak havoc on your life, filling your driveways with ice and snow. The question is, Force 5 listeners, what are you going to do about it? Luckily, today's sponsor has the answer, and that's Mr. Plow. Are you tired of having your hands cut off by snowblowers? Are you sick of the inevitable heart attacks that come with shoveling snow? Then you need Mr. Plow. Call Klondike 53226 and tell them that the Force 5 podcast sent you for a free t-shirt when you sign up for any Mr. Plow service. And I know what you're thinking. I'm a real tightwad. Can I afford this service? Well, Mr. Plow's got prices so low that you might think he's suffered brain damage. Kick old man Winter to the curb. That name again is Mr. Plow. Dad, was that your commercial? I don't know. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Victor DiMattia. He's an actor who's been working in Hollywood for over 20 years, starring in films like Turner and Hooch, Radio Flyer. One of my favorite guilty pleasures, Vanilla Ice's vanity project, Cool as Ice, as well as several TV shows. But he's best known for his role as Timmy Timmons in The Sandlot. Victor, how are you? I'm good, man. Thank you. That was a, quite an intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I know that these films are still keeping you busy, but you're also coming out with new projects. Why don't you tell us uh, what you got going on these days? Uh, well, actually, um, uh, it's me and some of the other guys from The Sandlot, uh, we all got together and we're, we're making some, uh, like, just some different collectibles and stuff kind of around all these behind the scenes photos. We got like all like hundreds of pictures that our parents took and stuff, you know, our family while we were filming. And it's just really sure. cool moments that like people have never seen before. And so we're, we're doing some stuff with that. We, we had a series of NFTs come out a couple months ago, uh, tra NFT trading cards. And those are super cool. And, uh, actually, uh, tomorrow, uh, Friday, uh, what is it? The 10th, we're yep. we're launching uh, a new line of uh, a collection that we did with uh, this artist uh, goes by the name of Floppy Action on Instagram. Uh, super dope sports artist. Uh, worked with a lot of like really cool people, and um, he he did a, a a print for us. So we got this really cool art print coming out. It's all of us lined up. It's kind of drawn in his uh, in his style, and uh, we're doing a couple different ones. We got one with like a foil inlay. We're doing one with like a a special purple foil that we're all going to autograph. Um, they're all hand numbered and stuff. They're super nice. And, uh, and then we've got a couple other things coming out, a couple t-shirts and a, and a coffee mug that I'm quite fond of. Uh, so yeah, check it out, man. Uh, it's uh, you can go to boys of summer dot cards 
or you can just follow us on Instagram, Voice of Summer 92. Uh, or I'm sorry, Twitter. Twitter is where you want to be. Uh, we have an Instagram, but the Twitter is really the most up to date one. And then uh, Boys of Summer cards. Check out the collection starting tomorrow. Yeah, I see that. I'm looking at it right now. There's only a hundred available of some of these editions. The signature one, hundred available. So you got to jump on there like immediately and grab that. Yeah, and we're actually going to put out. Uh, I don't know if you're. I don't know if you're uh, into the whole NFT thing. I've just started paying attention to NFTs. That's kind of where a lot of people are at. So we're actually going to uh, with with this collection, uh, with every piece that we sell, we're going to actually give uh, a free NFT, and we got a couple different designs depending on which thing you buy. Um, and we're nice. gonna we're gonna give out a free uh, commemorative NFT. So to kind of jumpstart everybody's collection. Oh, it's so cool. I, I bet back in 92, 93, you had no idea that the stand, that the Sandlot was like going to be as big as it was and just keep you busy for like 20, 30 years. It's, it's really amazing. I mean, it's everything that you kind of hope for as an actor, like to, you know, to do a project that still lives on, you know, almost 30 years later and people still care. You know, it's it's really humbling. It's a, it's a blessing. Yeah, I mean, it came up on this show in top five sports movies way back last year. I talked about my love for The Sandlot. And then recently, I also talked about it again because I showed my son The Sandlot for the first time, which I'm sure you hear all the time. Like, oh, my God, I just showed my kid that. And I loved that movie when I was little. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it is that so many people that are like my age grew up on the movie and now they've all got kids and they're passing it on to their generation. And hopefully it just keeps getting passed on and the movie just lives on forever. I mean, it's a great, you know, it's got a great message about, you know, inclusion and, and friendship and, uh, and it shows kids, you know, playing outside, which I don't know if they really do that anymore. So it's, that's a good example. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it's uh, America's pastime too, which always needs more attention. So obviously, Sandlot, big part of your life. But what kind of movies do you typically watch? Like, what what's your genre that you're into? Oh man, uh, you know anything superhero? Uh, I'm kind okay. of a, I'm kind of a sucker for that. Like, I don't care how bad of a superhero movie it is. Like, if it's if they got superpowers, <laughs> like I'm in. Um, and uh, and then sci-fi. I watch a lot of sci-fi stuff. Um, my wife isn't really into that, so that's like kind of my like late night guilty pleasure kind of thing you know and uh and then her and i we watch a lot of like you know she likes the murder mystery kind of stuff got it got it what are some uh some of your favorite movies in the last i don't know couple of years dude you know i mean recently the uh the new uh suicide squad did you see that i think it's one of the best superhero movies i've ever seen yeah i loved it i loved it i love that it uh it basically took the Guardians of the Galaxy formula and they were like, you know what? We tried to copy it with the first Suicide Squad. We'll just hire the director and let him do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, I mean. And he just went it, nuts. To me, it just looked like Guardians of the Galaxy, like gone insane, like rated R. Exactly. And like full gore and everything. I mean, but it was amazing. It was so well done. I loved it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And uh, your love for sci-fi movies and uh, the these kind of late night action movies maybe was uh something that inspired your list choice today we're gonna be doing top five weapons what was your inspiration for uh for choosing that topic oh man well i mean i think it's uh i don't know i mean there's just so many iconic weapons when you think about mm -hmm. go back and think about movies and so for some of the movies it's kind of like what makes the whole thing really yeah 
Yeah. I, uh, when, when I was doing my research for this topic, there was just so many clips that I wanted to watch and so many things I wanted to revisit. It's, it's tough to narrow it down. It was really tough. Oh my God. I know. I, I feel like I'm going to have to do a part two of this at some point because there's just so many that, that I had to leave mm-hmm. off. And I know you, you talked about like the weapons, those weapons that are iconic. And I actually went a different direction with mine and chose to highlight some weapons in movies that like might not be the first thing you think about when you watch that movie. Okay. Or when like the first things that you think about when you hear great weapons. So I'm interested to hear how we contrast and compare when we do our list. I have a, I have a few that are probably going to be pretty obvious, um, but you know, necessary. And then I got a couple that yeah, are coming at it from a little different angle. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, Victor, are you ready to get into the list? I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. You know what's going to happen? You know what's happening here right now? I know what's going to happen. No, no, no. What? You just made the list. Top five weapons, top five movie weapons. Do you want to go first or you want me to kick things off here? Why don't you go first? All right. I'm going to kick things off then with a movie that had we not done this topic would probably never have been talked about on this show. It is from the 1996 Arnold Schwarzenegger film Eraser. Whoa. And it is the EM1 Railgun. He works for a secret government agency. He answers to no one. He is called in when time has run out. To save your life, he must eliminate every trace of your existence. A body may be found, but it won't be yours. Because to protect your future, he will erase your past. Are you familiar with Eraser? I mean, yeah. I mean, I know what it is. Like, <laughs> I, I think I probably saw it when it came out, and then that was it. Yeah, yeah. So I, re- I just rewatched this movie because I hadn't probably seen it since I was since it was in theaters in '96. And this one is uh, has a interesting place in my heart. I, I grew up in this very small town. And we had one movie theater at the time. It was a two-screen theater. And this is the last movie that I saw there before they tore it down and put up the big multiplex. Eraser is about, uh, well, we've got Vanessa Williams. She plays this, this character named Lee, and she works for this company that's developing new weapon technology. And she's recruited by the FBI to smuggle out some secrets. But when the company figures this out, they try to kill her. And that's where Arnold Schwarzenegger comes in. He plays his character, John Kruger, and he is sent in to make her disappear in a good way. Like to erase her. Yeah, exactly. That's where his title <laughs> see, comes uh, from. Yeah. He is, he's an eraser. I get it. Now, the weapon that she's developing is this EM-1 railgun, and EM stands for electromagnetic. Oh. This gun is unique for a couple reasons. It is, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, first off, it shoots these bullets like they're, it says it shoots aluminum bullets, but it looks more like a, magne- a magnetic pulse, and it's supposed to be at the speed of light, so... When somebody shoots you with this gun, you just fly. And if you shoot a car, the car just explodes. <laughs> but the coolest thing about this gun is the uh, the scope that's attached. It's like this x-ray technology that can see through anything. Steel, brick, wood, whatever. And it sees through your body. 
So you can see the bones and like the even the heartbeat pumping. So in one scene, like uh, Arnold's in this factory and this guy is looking for him with this gun and he's looking through walls and he can see exactly where Arnold is. It's uh, an outlandish weapon. And at one point, Arnold gets to dual wield this rail gun. Oh, jeez! I didn't remember him dual wielding. I'm looking at the gun right now. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell you. And the X-ray scope. I'm seeing, I'm seeing some images here of the X-ray scope, and I dig that. Oh, it's so fun! It's so fun. I don't think they used it enough in the movie, though. It's featured heavily in one scene, but it's kind of it, and it doesn't even really play into the main bad guy's demise at the end, which was kind of disappointing. But right. Does he properly use it? Like, does anybody, like, shoot through a couple walls into somebody's heart or something? Yeah, so there's this really great gag where uh, they're they're searching for Arnold in this factory, and they have a sniper up top with one of these guns, and he's looking for him. But the only thing he can see is the outline of the the body with this shotgun. So they're looking for the guy with the shotgun, and Arnold throws the shotgun to a guy who grabs <laughs> it, and then the sniper thinks that's Arnold, and, and he just takes him out. Right which is great. And then the scene where Arnold dual wheels is is amazing. He just like pops out of this factory with these two guns and he's just blasting stuff. And the, the gun trail with the gun, like with the bullets that are shot is pretty amazing too. It, it's almost like rings. It just looks really good. So that's the EM-1 railgun from Eraser. Again, a movie I probably would never have talked about aside from this topic. I, I mean, always I didn't, stuck with when me. I was going through movie weapons i did not think of eraser you know it's funny it didn't come up on any of the lists that i was looking at like i, I was just kind of seeing what other people chose and it didn't come up on any other lists i think everybody else just forgot about hmm. this all right well that one's outside the box i'll give you that <laughs> number five for you my friend all right so number five number five for me is one of these swords that is like i mean i'm sorry i i i, I gave it away but it's the sword <laughs> it's the sword from Kill Bill, the Hattori Hanzo. So that's like one of those weapons that's like such a crucial part of the film. Like it's like a big part of the story, you know, the making of the sword and the, you know, she's got to track the guy down and like he doesn't make swords anymore, you know, and the and Bill <laughs> as the last one to get one of his swords and just the whole and the, like the whole montage of, of him, you know, of, uh, of, Hattori Hanzo going and you know with the white robe and everything and making the sword and then I don't know man it was just so cool I'm glad that you brought this up this is also on my list so I'm gonna jump right in here and we'll just call this my number four yep the Hattori Hanzo sword I couldn't leave this off from Kill Bill listeners if you've never seen Kill Bill you need to go out and watch it now it's it's got uh, Uma Thurman she plays the bride and she wakes up from a coma after this deadly viper assassination squad tries to kill her during her wedding And she's out to exact revenge and kill everybody involved. And one of those people lives in Japan. Her name is Oren Ishii. You mentioned that she goes to Hattori Hanzo to get the sword made. And, you know, he's retired. But she's like, I need some Japanese steel for this job. And the only reason he makes this sword is because it's to take out Bill. And, uh, yeah, you're right. That montage where he's making the sword and she is training. Because it takes a month to make this sword. Right. She's training. She's getting ready for this fight. And uh, 
holy moly, when she gets to use it against the crazy 88, it is one of the coolest, bloodiest scenes that you will see in a film. Yeah, and it's just such a cool-looking sword, too, you know? And it's got, like, the stamp, the, the lion stamp on the blade and everything. Yeah, yeah, and the Hattori Hanzo swords in general have a a big place in both of those movies. There's uh, all of the Vipers have one or had one, as we find out in like Bud's case, right. where he said that he sold it, but it's kind of sitting there in one of his golf bags. Uh, just a a really iconic weapon, and uh, I'm glad that you had it on your list. I could not leave it off mine either. The Hattori Hanzo, great weapon. Sweet. All right. Well, yeah, put that one in the books then. Well, I guess then I guess Indeed. I just go to my number four then, huh? You got it. So my number four is, and this one is maybe not the first weapon that you would like think of, but it's oh, it the the cool thing I like about this is that it's just a normal weapon, like the weapon itself, but it's the way in which it was used that makes it so cool and iconic. And that is uh, John McClane's handgun at the end of Die Hard. Yeah, that's a great scene. Yeah, you know, and uh, uh, I, I mean, it, you know, he's got it duct taped to his back, right? Die Hard, everybody knows Die Hard, right? Yeah, I think the spoiler moratorium is up on Die Hard, so you can spoil yeah, the ending. You know, <laughs> Bruce Willis is a is a cop from New York, and he's now his his family is out. You know, his wife's out in in uh, in Los Angeles, so he's going out there trying to fix his his uh marriage that's kind of falling apart. He gets out there and uh goes to the Christmas party at her big office building and uh of course the Christmas party gets uh attacked by terrorists. We come to find out that uh you know they're not actually terrorists. They're there they're it's a it's a switcheroo. The terrorists are a red herring and they're they're <laughs> there for a robbery. Of course, John McClane, he's a cop, so he's got to spring into action. You know, the building's locked down. He's already on the inside. And, uh, you know, he's, he goes through a, a whole bunch of horrible things, like having to walk on glass and all that. And uh, oh, yeah. and then at the very end, you know, he's got this, uh, his handgun, his trusty handgun. And uh, you think you think he's dead to rights that Hans Gruber has finally got him. But... Uh, Lo and behold, the the handgun is duct taped to his back, and uh, or no, it's not duct tape. It's, it's not duct tape. It's like a um, Christmas tape. It's taped, regardless. But yeah, it's it's like a Christmas wrapping tape, right? And then uh, the of course the great the Yippie Kaye motherfucker, one of the one of the best lines in movie history. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then he uses the gun to take out Hans. This is one that I don't think would be like that iconic if not for the way it was shot because you don't see that the gun is taped to his back until the very last minute which is really tight and uh i mean die hard if you haven't seen die hard why are you listening to movie podcasts (laughs) (laughs) good pick uh my number three is one from a film that i actively dislike (laughs) and i actually talked about this on last week's show when uh when we were talking about movies that were underrated and uh, and Greg Sirsavasti said that this movie was underrated, and I disagreed with him. I think it's a bad movie, but it's got a great weapon. That's from 2013's The Counselor, and the weapon is the bolo tie. Victor, have you seen The Counselor Whoa. from 2013? No. No, I have not. What is this all about? 
Okay, The Counselor is directed by Ridley Scott, and it's got a great cast, but don't let that fool you. Oh, you know what? You know what? I started watching this movie, and I couldn't finish (laughs) it. I think I got probably 20 minutes into it or so, and I said, forget this. Uh, Well, I don't blame you for that. It's got a great (laughs) cast, but this is a... I think it's a terrible movie. Some people disagree with me. Greg from last week disagreed with me. Maybe it's worth it, uh, listeners, to see it for yourself, but... It has one of the coolest weapons that I've seen in a movie. Uh, there's a character late in the film that is, uh, he thinks he's gotten away scot-free with something. And these people come up behind him and they put this device around his neck. They call it the bolo, but it's this small cable ring with a motorized winch system. <laughs> and when activated, it slowly cinches closed, like second by second. Right. It just... closes in and so they toss it around this person's neck and they 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 take what he has and he's sitting there and he knows about this weapon so he knows he's gonna die and he's just sitting there and he's you know he's it's an effort in futility because he's got his hands inside the cable and he's trying to uh to get this thing off of his neck and it just slowly slowly getting smaller and smaller until it cuts through the skin on his neck Starts spraying blood everywhere, oh, and eventually cuts his head clean off. There are a couple of scenes in the counselor that will always stick with me. One is a motorcycle scene where a motorcyclist gets his head torn off. Wow! Uh, there's another scene where Cameron Diaz has sex with a car windshield. I remember that being a big deal when that when they <laughs> came out. Yeah, it's like one of the wildest, weirdest scenes that <laughs> just it's so it's just so weird. And then this scene with the bolo tie and uh, yeah, just just a great scene at the end and a great weapon as a as an assassin. It's easy to loop something like this around somebody's neck unsuspecting. And uh, and it's OK. Yeah, I get it. Because I was going to ask, what's the point of this weapon? Why couldn't they just go up behind him with like the piano wire kind of thing? But this is just sort of you can just inconspicuously kind of pop it on and then and then walk away. Yeah, and the point is uh, they do it in broad daylight. So, like, there's people on the streets and and the, the assassin is just dressed up as, a, as like, a runner or a courier and they just run by, toss it on the dude's head. And wow, there's nothing you can do. That's it. Yep, and then it just slowly winches. <laughs> so, I, now, do I, should I go watch this movie all the way through or not? I can't decide after hearing what you had to say about it. You know, what I would do is just watch this scene on YouTube. Just look up okay. Bolo Tie Counselor and watch that scene. That's what I did to refresh. There's no way I was watching this whole movie All again. Right. Hell no. Your discretion advised <laughs> on that one. Indeed. Indeed. A lot of blood. Uh, what are we at? Number three for you? Number three for me is uh, from actually multiple films. Uh, it is the... Uh, chainsaw from Evil Dead. Yeah, Ash's chainsaw that, uh, you know, eventually gets attached to his hand, uh, or <laughs> or I guess where the where it used to be. But yeah, yep. I mean, it's in... So the first appearance is in Evil Dead, which, I mean, again, I think if, if this is a movie podcast, I would hope everyone's seen Evil Dead. Yes, let's hope so. Yeah, but I guess, you know, real quick, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a movie about uh, a bunch of Friends that go out to a, a cabin, you know, out in the woods for a fun weekend and uh, 
for some reason, a bunch of demons start just possessing everyone. Um, but like, not every. It's like weird the way they decide who to possess and stuff. I don't know. It like don't doesn't <laughs> totally make sense. Uh, but it's just such a great campy movie about you know these friends kind of getting possessed by demons one by one and having to kill them. And uh, yep. Uh, eventually, uh, Ash, the main character gets like half kind of possessed and like uh his hand gets possessed and uh and so he's gotta he's gotta get rid of the hand and so he grabs the chainsaw and he cuts it off and uh and then uh in evil dead 2 and in uh, army of darkness he's got this this chainsaw now attached to the stump a good, uh, a good iconic weapon there. His other iconic weapon, the boomstick. The boomstick. Too. So I, well, that's the thing is that he's two. got two in the movie. But I, I've always the boomstick is great too. The, uh, the, the shotgun. Yeah. But I mean, there's something just so cool about having a chainsaw attached to your hand. I agree. This uh, is also in Army of Darkness and makes its appearance in the Evil Dead TV show as well. Oh, so. you know what? That's right. That's right. He's always got it. He's always got it. I think there's even like a comic book version of this where he has one in the S Mart store as well, like a different model of chainsaw. <laughs> uh, the Sapmaster three thousand. I just pulled it up. That's pretty there you sweet. go. There That's you go. The Sapmaster three thousand. So even as the movies and the TV shows and the comic books evolve, the chainsaw also evolves. So that's how you know that it's iconic and important. It's a, There's it's a new beloved, versions of yeah, it. Yeah, it's a beloved weapon for sure. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, well, this next one is beloved for me. I don't know if this one will be from a movie that you've even heard of, because this is from I guess for non martial arts films fans this is going to be kind of an obscure pick but the weapon is the flying guillotine and it made its debut in the one-armed boxer but is in the title of the sequel to that master of the flying guillotine have you ever heard of this film i don't think i've ever seen it. i may i don't know when i was in college i watched a lot of super old martial arts movies for whatever reason uh but but no i don't remember this one <laughs> so this thing is so cool it's basically a razor lined ring that's attached to a wire and the master of the flying guillotine he whips this thing up like it's a whip and he tosses the ring and the ring falls over the person's head onto their neck and he whips it and it just cuts the person's head clean off. Yeah, I totally it's remember this. It's such a cool thing. weapon. I totally remember this weapon. It's awesome. The decapitations are the best thing ever with this thing. I know. And there's, you know, these are low budget 70s movies like Grindhouse uh, martial arts films. And when you see the heads pop off, it's really cheesy. But it's a it's a really, really cool weapon. And in if you watch the sequel to the Chinese boxer, the one-armed boxer, rather, the flying guillotine the first scene you see this thing just drop it onto people's heads and and whipping them off <laughs> the master of the flying guillotine as a movie made my top five kung fu movies of all time if you go back and listen to that episode it is a really really good fun martial arts movie this is the one with a, a big tournament so they hold they hold like a, a tournament and it's almost like a mortal Kombat style 
tournament where if you lose, you die. Right. <laughs> and, uh, nice. Yeah, Jimmy Wang Yu plays the one-armed boxer. It's a uh, so really good movie, but kick-ass weapon, master of the flying guillotine. I could not leave it off this I, list. I'm going to have to revisit this movie. This thing is awesome. I totally remember this. Um, and also, yeah. you know, there's there's a, 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 I think, an homage to this thing in, in Kill Bill. Yeah, uh, the, the girl uh, with the, the in the schoolgirl outfit. She's got like that ball that has the the spikes that come out of it. Yep, that's got to be an homage yeah. to this, no doubt in my mind. Because I know Tarantino likes this movie. He talked about it on uh, Pure Cinema podcast. Yeah, that's great. This is a great weapon. Number two for me is uh, from one of my favorite movies of all time, and it is the M fifty six Smart Gun from Aliens. Oh, good pick. Thank you. Um, I've always loved this this weapon. I mean, I always loved the movie, but for some reason, I just even as a kid, I just really took to the uh, the smart gun. Um, sure. But uh, and they got another cool gun in that movie too. But but this is was always the best one. So you know, there was Alien, obviously, with the you know the one Alien in the ship, which I never really dug that much as a kid. When I when I watched it again when I was older, I I, I was more into it. But for me, Aliens was always the best of the two, uh, because oh, now yeah. they so much more. Yeah, now they got to go back. They got to go the the to the aliens planet. The aliens have taken over a a, a human settlement. They got to. They're going to send the space marines down there. You know, Sigourney Weaver is the only one that that knows about <laughs> these aliens. So they're like, we got to send. You know, we're going to send Ripley with you guys because she's like an, an alien expert now. And uh, mm -hmm. they send them down there. They find out this thing's been totally overrun. Uh, there's aliens everywhere. Everybody's dead except for Newt, the, the little girl who's been living in the air ducts and stuff. Newt, yeah. Yeah, Newt. And, you know, uh, of course, Bill Paxton has a great role in that movie. Um, mm -hmm. But all the space marines were so badass. And, uh, and they had that one gun that was the... Uh, it had like a, a little grenade launcher on it too. And it was like a yeah. little assault rifle with a grenade launcher. But the smart gun was the one that was like, you had to like wear a harness and it, and this thing like <laughs> yeah. came down from over your shoulder and it was like a Gatling gun almost. Yeah. The smart gun was the best. That's a good pick. I, uh, I actually almost picked like the, uh, the Ripley exoskeleton suit at the, <laughs> at the end of alien. But then I realized it wasn't really, built to to kill people it was built more as like a like a um a workhorse outfit so i didn't pick anything from alien or aliens but well yeah, you know what's funny is i originally that that was what i thought of first and i think that would count <laughs> i think that counts because i think if you use it's it used it, it as was a used as a weapon in the movie so it's i mean i think that counts but but then after i thought of aliens i immediately thought of the smart gun and i go that was when i was a kid i like wanted a smart gun yeah, yeah. And they I think they actually had those exoskeleton like exosuit weapons in the video games, in the Alien video games, like the Alien versus Predator mm -hmm. games, but I don't know if they ever brought them into the movies. But the smart gun. Yeah, good good pick, <laughs> good choice. Staying in space for my number 1, my grand finale on top 5 movie weapons. This is one from another movie that probably wouldn't be brought up on the show if not for this topic and it's presented by one of my favorite actors of all time 
It's from The Fifth Element from 1997, and it's the Zorg F1 pod weapon system. Wow. The main antagonist of The Fifth Element is this guy Zorg, played by Gary Oldman, and he is so good in this role. He's the founder of this uh, this company called Zorg Industries. They're a huge weapons developer. Like we, the very first scene, he suggests that they lay off a million employees. <laughs> That's how big this <laughs> company is. And in that scene, he's making a deal with this group of mercenaries, and he's showing off his latest invention, the ZF One. So I'm going to read off some of the the features of the ZF One here. It doesn't matter which hand it's in. It's called a multifunctional weapon. It's incapable of being detected by X-rays. Yeah, that's the coolest part about it, I guess. Right? If you're a, if you're up to some evil deeds. Yep. Uh, it has a three thousand round clip. Three thousand <laughs> rounds. Uh, it has a bunch of different fire modes and a self-destruct button, as you will find out if you've seen the fifth element. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go from like what I think is. Uh, a good feature to what I think is the best feature. So first off, it has a net launcher for non-lethal takedowns. Not my favorite, but still cool nonetheless. It's got an arrow launcher with arrowheads that have either explosive or poisonous gas Mm -hmm. heads. Five on each side. So a total of 10 arrows that this thing can shoot. It's got your standard rocket launcher. Yeah, of course. Obviously a a good part. It's got a flamethrower, which is Zorg's personal favorite, as he says in that scene. It's got the new ice cube system, which is like this freezing gas that comes out and freezes people. So you can flame them up or you can freeze them. And my favorite thing about this is the replay button. Mm -hmm. So he illustrates how he shoots one bullet and then you can hit the replay button and every, every bullet fired after that will hone to that same area. So he shoots one at this dummy turns around and shoots the gun at all the mercenaries, but the bullets curve around him and go back to the spot where he shot the first bullet. Yeah, that's pretty it's awesome. It's an awesome weapon. Yeah, it is. It's like a total overpowered weapon. Uh, the Zorg F1 pod weapon system. And I don't love the fifth element. I really do like Luke Besson, but I did not love the fifth element. But Gary Oldman is great in this movie. And I had a lot of fun going back and watching those scenes with him and this weapon in that movie just on YouTube. So, yeah, the the Z the Zorg F1 pod system. You know what? I actually like the fifth element. I mean, it's kind of like a guilty pleasure movie for me. Yeah. But, like, anytime, if I'm flipping through TV and I see it on, like, I got to stop and watch it for a little while. Yeah, and, and it's not a bad movie. It's just not one of my favorites, and especially from that director who did... Um, Leon the Professional, which is like one of my favorite movies of all time. That's a that's a great movie. Grand finale for you, Victor DiMattia. What do you got on top five weapons? The number one greatest movie weapon of all time. And this one is pretty obvious, but for good reason, because it is, in fact, the greatest movie weapon of all time. And that is... <laughs> Can I guess before you say it? Can I yep. guess? The lightsaber. That's absolutely right. You got it. <laughs> Lightsaber, number one movie weapon ever. You know, obviously featured in many, many films and television shows and cartoons and everything else at this point. Look, if you, I can't, I'm not going <laughs> to give you the plot to Star Wars because if you haven't seen that, then I mean, there's just, I don't know what, what to say. 
that's that's exactly it's the diehard thing again right (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah i mean you know the lightsaber the the traditional weapon of the jedi order uh and as well as the sith um their evil counterparts uh but you know it's the these these are made by the jedi and i think they kind of like just know how to make them i I think that's how it works (laughs) do you have any clarity i think i think it's kind of like a thing with like the force just gives them like they're just imbued with the knowledge of like to know how to make a lightsaber on their own i think they buy them from zorg from the fifth element (laughs) dude (laughs) if you could buy one i mean i i that's talk about weapons that i wanted as a kid i mean the smart gun was up there but like i would have given anything for a lightsaber and it's got to be the most dangerous weapon that a kid could possibly have because all oh yeah there's no safety it's yeah just just barely touch something and it's done Mm -hmm. uh at least with a sword you'd have to swing it or something you know a gun you'd have to pull the trigger but i mean the lightsaber once you turn that thing on it's just nothing but destruction (laughs) and that thing i mean you know they can obviously if you got you know if you have the force you can throw it and then it'll come back to you you know, they can, it, it gets so hot, they can use it to, like, melt doors and stuff. Uh, it's it's pretty unstoppable. And uh, they can even deflect the blaster bullets, you know? So they can, like, you can't even shoot them when they got this thing. They're just going to run up on you and just slice you up. And it will just yeah. instantly cut through any, any bone or flesh or anything. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I think you would have to, you would also have to be able to use the force to really have one of these things, but that's the ultimate weapon. I mean, that that's the thing that I would want most of all. Even if you don't like Star Wars, even if you've never seen a Star Wars movie, you know what a lightsaber is. There's so many different variations in the movies. You go to Disneyland right now and you can go and make your own lightsaber. They have all kinds of cool stuff yeah. for lightsabers. Yeah, aren't they like 300 bucks or something? shit probably that's a lot for a <laughs> probably i mean unless you can really cut shit with it <laughs> but you can i mean you go to a, a target right now you can probably find a lightsaber that's how iconic this weapon is how many years later you know 45 years later it's still everywhere so yeah good good choice and worthy of number one on your list awesome were there any that uh that you would have put on your list if we were doing like a, a longer list any that you were sad that you had well to you off? know there were yeah there were a few that i kind of went through i mean thor's hammer is kind of an obvious one mm-hmm. uh you know i i thought about actually wolverine's claws yep but then i was like is that really more of a comic book same with thor's hammer like is that really a comic book weapon that was then in a movie and i don't know you know yeah. Uh, so that's why I decided on, on what I went with. And then one that I, that I really think is like actually a super iconic weapon and it is a weapon and a major, major part of the film that it's in is the Red Rider BB gun from a Christmas story. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that would count. That's a movie weapon for sure. Yeah. Um, so that one was very close. If it, if it was top six, the, the Red Rider would have been on there at number six. Man, that's one I didn't even think about, but yeah, that, that would have worked. Uh, the only ones that I had on my honorable mentions that we didn't mention, Indiana Jones Whip almost made Oh, my that's list. a great one. Yeah, that's a great one. 
And then there's two that I think are lesser known. The first one, the guitar case weapons from Desperado. Those things are so sick. Oh, man. Uh, well, the, uh, the guitar case itself was like a rocket launcher. Yeah, yeah. So he has three buddy. Well, he has two buddies, and one of them has a guitar case rocket launcher. Oh, that's right. Then, that's right. His guitar case would just had like the all the shit inside. Yeah. The guitar case his, rocket launcher was pretty rad. Yeah, that was tight. And then he's got the his other buddy's got the rocket or the um the guitar cases that are actually almost like Tommy guns. Right. Which, uh, like double Tommy guns, which is cool. <laughs> and then I don't know if you've ever seen the original Django films with Franco Nero, but there's this coffin that he drags around and the coffin has a Gatling gun that pops out of it. And that was that's a right. really sick yeah, movie weapon. That's too. right. That's yeah. a great one, too. So that one uh, narrowly missed my list. Victor, we got to talk one more time about boysofsummer.cards. We've got the art prints up. Go there right now. If you're listening to this, the posters might be gone, but hey, jump in, see if they got posters. Either way, they got cool stuff there. We've got mugs. Uh, anything else you got going on? Um, yeah, you know, I just, uh, um, I, I was in a film um that was written and directed by the great Glenn Danzig. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, of course, you know, Danzig from the Misfits and, and just Danzig. Um, and uh, yeah, he did, he did a film. Um, it actually, we, we, we wrapped, I mean, it was like a year and a half ago. It was right before all this stuff started and the theaters kind of shut down and everything. And, and Glenn was adamant that he wanted to wait until theaters were reopened because he wanted it, you know, people to be able to go see it on the big screen. So it's a, uh, it's, it's wild, man. It's, it's Danzig's second film that he's done. He wrote and directed it. It's a, a, a vampire spaghetti Western called Death Rider in the House of Vampires. Sounds like a movie made for me. It's great, man. It's, it's you know, if you're into the, all the old, like, 70s, like, hammer horror and also the spaghetti western genre, it's, like, a perfect mix of those two. It, it mm. feels like it's, like, right out of the 70s. Um, and, you know, it stars uh, it stars Devin Sawa as uh, Death Rider. Uh, and there's all kinds of cool cameos, man. Danny Trejo is in it. Eli Roth has a great role in it. Uh, oh, Fred Armisen okay. even makes a quick cameo really so uh yeah it's there's a lot of cool surprises in there and uh it's just super campy vampire fun cool that's death rider in the house of vampires and this is this one out now or is it's this out now out yeah man it's out now uh nationwide it's like in you know select theaters i don't know how many theaters are really open and running these days but but it's out there man it's 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 nationwide so yeah you can if you want to see it you can find it where can people find you on social media on uh, on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, well, you can follow uh, you know Boys of Summer uh, for all the stuff. We got some new more NFT releases that are going to be coming out soon, and so if you on Twitter, we're uh, at Boys of Summer ninety two, um, and then you can follow me. I'm, I'm on Instagram uh, at Victor Demadia. Um, so yeah, come check it out and you can see some. Fun pictures of my uh, my dogs and stuff. Listeners, what's your favorite movie weapon that wasn't mentioned? Let me know on social media, Force5Pod on Twitter and Force5Podcast on Instagram, and your comment might make it into the show. If you liked what you heard, please review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, 
and go watch some movies with awesome weapons. Thank you.